Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Again, we'd like to thank you for joining us today for this rather special broadcast. Noah, the epic movie, is opening in the United States on March 28th. I haven't yet seen the movie, but I have read the book. That is Genesis talking about Noah. I'll talk about the movie a little bit more next week, but we need to realize that young people tend to develop their morals, their worldview, and even their theology from movies and the media. So we want to pay attention to what this film portrays. It's not going to be exactly what the Bible story is. There are going to be departures. But there is something good about the movie, and that is it can be a great conversation starter. It's a, a great tool to gather interest in the true Genesis record of the flood of Noah. Now, let's take a, a look at what the biblical record says about Noah and the flood. And let me begin by saying, this isn't a kiddie fable. This isn't just a child's make-believe story. This is something that actually happened in the early history of our planet. It's kind of tough to date the flood because we're talking about ancient, ancient history, but a rough figure would be about 5,000 years ago. And to complicate things just a little bit, between the Hebrew manuscript of the Old Testament and the Greek manuscript of the Old Testament, it varies almost a thousand years when the flood had occurred, say somewhere between 3200 BC and 2300 BC. But a rough figure would be 5,000 years ago. We read about the flood in Genesis chapters 6 through 9, and it's a sobering account of both judgment and salvation during early earth history. Now, you're probably aware that modernist scripture scholars and theologians doubt that a universal flood ever happened, but they often disguise their unbelief by calling the biblical flood a pious myth or a religious exaggeration of simply a local phenomena. There are even some conservative Catholic teachers and speakers who have a weak faith in the reality of the ark and the flood, so they just avoid talking about them or simply refer to that biblical scholarship that has concluded there is very little. We can really know what Genesis talks about. Well, Genesis is pretty clear. And in a moment, I'll be sharing with you how their silences and doubts can have a potentially devastating impact on your children and grandchildren, especially given the cultural situation in which we are living. But right now, I'm going to ask every parent listening to me to stop whatever you're doing for two minutes and listen ever so carefully to three prophetic warnings that can save your children from abandoning their faith a little later in their life. Now, the nice thing about radio is that you can be doing a lot of things while you listen, working at the computer, doing housework, whatever. But if you could safely pause for the next two minutes and listen to three warnings 
And these are three very important warnings about your child's faith. You can perhaps discount these warnings right now, and your children will appear fine, say, through their childhood. But in their latter teen years and their 20s, the weaknesses that these warnings address could explode, and it'd be perhaps one of the greatest disappointments of your life. So I'm asking for two minutes, starting right now. This is warning number one from Pope Leo XIII in his encyclical on the study of Holy Scripture. Quote, the young, if they lose their reverence for the Holy Scriptures on one or more points, they are easily led to give up believing in it altogether, unquote. If I can quickly paraphrase Pope Leo XIII's warning, you take out Genesis and you have falling dominoes for the rest of the revelation of the Christian faith. Warning number two comes from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Quote, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus Christ from John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. Again, if I can paraphrase Jesus, if you don't believe Moses, and Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, but if you take out Genesis, you erode faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't my idea. This is the teaching of Jesus himself. If you believe Moses, you'll believe me. If you don't believe his writings, you will not believe my words. Warning number three, again, this is Jesus telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke 16, starting verse 27. He said, I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You see, there is a place of torment, even though there's crazy religious teachers running around saying there isn't, or there are so few people go there, it's basically irrelevant. It's very relevant, according to Christ. In the story, Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, who's that? Of course, it's Jesus. He's the one that comes back from death. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You see, these are three crystal clear warnings, two of which come from the mouth of Jesus himself, the other from Pope Leo XIII, a great pope in a papal encyclical, warning that if you take out one part of Scripture, it all goes. If you take out Moses, belief in Jesus goes. And this is exactly how faith is destroyed. And in the story of the rich man in Lazarus, he says he's concerned about his family going into eternal judgment. And what does he say? Listen to Moses. You see, there are two great Old Testament warnings of divine judgment. 
One is the great flood with Noah, and the other is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if people blow off Moses' teaching of these two divine warnings in Genesis, they will eventually blow off Jesus as well, and they'll have no fear of a life in sin and eternal consequences. That is something, as a parent, you do not want to see happen. Now, I have said several times on this broadcast that there is a spiritual crisis with 20-somethings, those who um, have just graduated from college or the next few years after the college years, there's a spiritual washout. And one of the things we want to do as parents is to be prepared for the challenges ahead. A lot of parents are aware there could be and will be some struggles during the teen years. But the spiritual crisis of the 20-somethings is dropping out of practicing their faith altogether. And this is a heartbreak to Christian parents who really love Christ, but yet see their children just wander away from the faith. Right now, right now, today, over half of Catholic young people in their 20s are going to leave the practice of their faith. In fact, it's over 60%. It's a majority. You think, oh, that'll never happen to my kids. Well, I'm, I'm hoping from this broadcast and other broadcasts, it will not happen to your kids. But don't be so foolish that we're living in a world that's somehow friendly to the faith. It isn't. So, if so many 20-somethings are departing from the faith, you as a parent might be real tempted to say, wow, college really did them in. But I want you to hear something that's extremely important. Although the 20-somethings depart during their 20s, they did not begin their doubts during their 20s. Doubt grows in the human heart, and it eventually comes in departing from the practice of the faith. And so if you want to prevent the departing, you prevent the doubting. Now, when do the first significant doubts begin? Well, there's an interesting study by the American Research Group, and they actually went to young people who had, during their teens, been active in church and now have departed and asked them, when did they first have their serious doubts about the Christian faith? And amazingly, only 11% of these unchurched 20-somethings who have left the faith reported their first serious doubts in college. Only 11%. Wow. Well, when did they begin all their doubts? 89% developed their first serious doubts during middle school and high school. To be precise, 39.8% of those in their 20s who have left the practice of the faith, who were previously churched, 39.8% began their first serious doubts in middle school. So you see, if you want to prevent 20-something church dropouts, almost 90% 
begin their doubts that lead to their departure in middle school and high school. Again, listen to Pope Leo XIII, the young. If they lose their reverence for the Holy Scriptures on one or more points, they are easily led to give up believing in it altogether. And that's exactly what is happening. Now, you'd say, by the way, that was a study of Protestant evangelical Sunday schools. I would wish that Catholics would do that same type of hard, honest analysis. Is our spiritual formation helping or hurting? That same study from the American Research Group then went to pull these young people, these 20-somethings who have left the faith, and see what their belief was like. And they found out that Sunday school for these young people, those in Sunday school, came out far worse than the young people who had attended these evangelical Sunday schools. Did you get what I just said? I'm not against Sunday school. <laughs> I'm not against Christian education. As a, When I was a Protestant pastor, I set up Sunday schools. I led Sunday schools. But they found out that the outcome of those who have dropped out of practicing the faith, the outcome was worse for those who had attended religious education versus those who didn't. And let me specifically give you some of those topics. Those who attended Sunday school were more likely not to believe all the accounts and stories in the Bible are accurate and true. In other words, they had higher levels of doubts about the biblical stories, like Noah and the flood. Those who attended Sunday school were more likely to doubt the Bible because it was written by men. Those who attended Sunday school were more likely to say that the Bible was not translated correctly. Those who attended Sunday school were more likely to defend that abortion should continue to be legal. Those who attended Sunday school were more likely to defend premarital sex. Those who attended Sunday school were more likely to accept gay marriage. Those who attended Sunday school were much more likely to believe that God used evolution to change one kind of animal into another. Real clear here, these young people are 20-somethings who have dropped out of church life, who had attended church, but the group within this dropout of 20-somethings, the ones who had had Christian education ended up in worse shape. Something went on to set them on the wrong path. Something went on, maybe well, well intended, that set up doubts. And again, I wish I had the funds to do such a study in Catholic circles, because I am not picking on evangelical Sunday schools. I dare say whatever led to the doubts in these evangelical Sunday schools are very widespread, not in all, but in many Catholic religious education classes. In fact, this comes from one parent that I read on a Catholic website. 
The parent says, I've been looking over my child's textbook our parish uses for middle school religious education. The book calls the story of Noah a legend that started out as a real story but has been exaggerated. The textbook explains that Noah did build a boat just to save his family and his own sheep. The story was eventually exaggerated to teach a worldwide flood and the saving of all animals. And then this parent's child's textbook goes on to say, when we are reading a Bible story that seems unbelievable, chances are the story was never meant to be believed. Let me say that again. This is out of a Catholic religious education textbook. When we are reading the Bible, and when a story seems unbelievable, chances are the story was never meant to be believed. You see, young people, I don't care if they're Protestant or Catholic, young people that are exposed to these types of faith-destroying textbooks will likely end up like the young people in this survey I just gave you. The more religious education they had, their worst, their views on scriptural revelation, on morals, premarital sex, same-sex marriage, and abortion. Keep your children from this type of faith-destroying rot, and it is rot. This is the type of thing that it would be better if it didn't exist. You can't tell children that, I mean, that God created the world. That seems unbelievable. I can't do that. Nobody I know can do that. With all our technology, we can't do that. So I'm not to believe that. That Jesus should rise from the dead. That seems unbelievable to me, that somebody could rise from the dead. I've never seen that. So that Bible story is not to be believed, or Jesus healing, or that Jesus was, in fact, God come in the flesh, incarnated. That, that seems entirely unbelievable. Or that Jesus could truly be present in the Eucharist. That's unbelievable. You see what, what this gets you? You start with Genesis, because that's the easy domino to tip over. You know, that was so long ago, you know, Noah's not around to defend what actually happened. So we just start knocking the dominoes over. But Jesus warned that if you knock over Moses, you're eventually going to knock over the entire Christian faith. Okay? So what do you want to do? Real simple. You just teach your children what the Bible, including what Jesus and the first pope taught about Noah and the flood. That's a good starting place. And that starting place, in case you're wondering, can be found in Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 36. Listen to what Jesus says. Now, remember, the words of Jesus should kind of settle the question for us, because every Christian believes that Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, being the eternal God, he's in a great position to know what happened before, during, and after the flood. No one else alive has any witnesses to it. So if Jesus assumes Noah was a real person and built an ark and a great flood destroyed the world, well, shouldn't that be good enough for us and especially for our children? Listen to Jesus. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, 
One of the things that a Christian should always have in his sights is the end, that there's a second coming of Christ. There is a judgment at that point. There's a judgment upon the world. We even as Catholics have an entire season of the year to have us look forward to that second coming. And Jesus is teaching that his coming, his second coming, is going to be very much like the days of Noah. But if your children go into a religious education class and they're told that, well, this is just a you know, it rained a lot, might have been a local flood, and, you know, he built a boat and saved his sheep and saved his family, and basically it's an exaggerated tale. What are they going to believe when you start talking about the world as we know it coming to an end and Jesus Christ returning? Is that a tale too? Because Jesus said if you don't believe A, you're going to end up not believing B. Jesus goes on, for as in those days before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So I guess the Son of God believes there is an ark. And they did not know until the flood came and swept them all away. Not just some, not a few people in the valley, all. And in the same way, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Watch, therefore. For you do not know on what hour or day your Lord is coming. You must be ready. Do you think our young people are ready? Who have been taught to believe, to doubt stories that seem unbelievable because they've been told, you're not even expected to believe these. No, this is utterly serious business because we're seeing how the erosion of faith early in the Bible leads to erosion of faith concerning the very last things the Bible talks about. Along with Jesus, I'd like to strongly recommend what the first pope of the Catholic Church had to say about all this. And I'm not talking about an encyclical. I'm talking about what the first pope wrote in holy, authoritative, divine, inspired scripture. And I'm referring to St. Peter, his second epistle, 2 Peter, chapter 3, starting in verse 3. He writes, First of all, you must understand this, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own passions. A lot of theological error. Listen to this carefully, because you think, how do these scripture scholars come up with this crazy stuff? It's because they're following their passions and they're conforming the truth to their lifestyle rather than conforming their lifestyle to the truth. Peter goes on. They are saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were since the beginning of creation. There's been no major changes, in other words. He goes on in verse 5. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, an earth formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. The valley didn't perish. 
the region of Mesopotamia didn't perish, according to the first pope and holy scripture. The world that then existed perished. And by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then he goes on to talk about the second coming, and this is where it gets very practical for living a holy life in an unholy world. He says, since all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire But according to his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now listen, children who are taught to believe that Noah and the ark and the universal judgment of the flood is some kind of pious religious fable, fabrication, or exaggeration, give those doubts into a heart of a young person and let them grow. And then have someone come along and saying, we need to live a holy life because at the end of this life, there's going to come a judgment. At the end of this world, there's going to come a judgment. And because of that, what sort of people, St. Peter says, are we to be? We're to be holy people, not like those who are following their passions and denying scriptural revelation and divine revelation. Well, this is just the warm-up for Noah. Next week, I'm going to be bringing you some fascinating citations from the early church fathers on Noah, the ark, and the flood. And I must say, I have never heard about these citations mentioned on Catholic radio, and I have never read about them in a Catholic book. They come right out of the church fathers. I think you're going to find them fascinating. So I trust that you will join us next week as we look a little bit more into Noah, the ark, and the flood. And this week, you've been listening to Faith and Family with Steve Wood. I'm your host, and this has been episode 23. Until next time, visit us on the web at www.familylifecenter.net. Till next time, may God bless you and your family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.